Now, Scarlett Moffat, uh, who uh, you may or may not know, uh, she's the 2016 winner of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So, if you watch that program, you may have come across Scarlett Moffat. Uh, she is on a crusade to encourage young girls uh, to be true to themselves. That's what, that's her, that's her crusade, really. Uh, well, why is she on this? Well, she wants young women, especially young girls, uh, to stop looking at filtered pictures of women online. Uh, she wants them to stop looking at that and trying to be like those filtered pictures. And because she's a celebrity, she said, look, people do not look like that. Don't try and be like that. You see, the problem is that many young people are increasingly, as I've said before, struggling with deep problems in this country. Uh, anorexia, and deep anxiety, deep depression, big issue. Uh, Self-arming is on the rise. Uh, why is these things going on? Well, Scarlett and other celebrities believe part of the reason is that many young people want to feel loved and they want to feel accepted in society. And so they are engaged. Uh, in, because they look at these celebrities online and say, yeah, I want to be like that lady. And when they see that they can't, they, of course, decide to go to all sorts of directions, which are extremely unhelpful. I think it is always good, you know, we sometimes have a go at celebrities, but it's always good uh, that uh, Miss Moffat and others, uh, these influential celebrities, are trying to do their bit to turn the nation around. Sadly, uh, the problem is actually larger than Miss Moffat realizes, or even maybe willing to admit. Uh, why do I say that? Well, the beauty industry in this country, in the UK, is worth 17 billion pounds. You might wonder why it's so large. Well, the basic reason is that it is so huge market because all of us do not feel the real us is good enough. That's the foundational reason. This is why the makeup company Josh Wood Color, I had to look that up, Josh Wood Color, last year launched billboard adverts in the London undergrounds, which had this shocking slogan. They say, they say this, it says, I want to look like me again. I want to look like me again. Think about that. I think it's a, it's a bit ageist, frankly, but uh, they say people want to look like them again, perhaps when they were 10 or <laughs> when they were 15 or 20. So when you think about that and you think about what Miss Moffat is saying to our young women, so when Miss Moffat says to our young women, be yourself, I can hear a lot of young girls across the country saying, I have tried, I have tried. I have looked inside myself, and I hate who I am. I want something more. I want to be loved and accepted by the world, just like you, Miss Moffat. And as I thought about that, these young women are not alone, are they? Be honest with yourself, brothers and sisters, this morning. What really drives your decisions? Is it not to be as comfortable as possible in your life? Is it not to be loved by others? Is there anyone here who doesn't want more love from others? Are you not working for a better pension? Don't you want to retire with a wonderful pension? Is that why you go to work? And do you not want to have more well-connected friends? 
you're on Twitter and you're trying to follow that celebrity? Wouldn't you wish someone like Theresa May lived next door to you? Well, maybe not. <laughs> Bad example. But don't you want a better family? Wouldn't you want to have a better relationship, a better boyfriend, perhaps? We all want these things. Why do we want these things? You know, better children, more Esther kids. When we want our children to be Esther kids. Why are we like this? Well, all of this is part of the search for us to be better human beings. It is a search for better humanity. <coughs> or as Josh Woody Keller would put it, we want to be us again. We want to be us again. Now, why do I say we want to be us again collectively? Well, the reason I say that is because, you see, there was a time when all of us had it all. All of us. And the Bible says that time was when God created us in the Garden of Eden. We had it all. We truly lived fulfilled lives when God created us in his image. We had God, we had one another, we had perfect love. Adam and Eve would exist in perfect harmony with God. But the Bible tells us that they rebelled against God. And since then, all their descendants are born with that wood color, so to speak. We want to be us again. We, we realize now we are emotionally, physically, and spiritually damaged because of sin. We realize that now, actually, we are subhuman. Why do I say that? Because since sin entered the world, all of us have been spiritually corrupted. Physically, we are not as physically as we were created in Adam and Eve. Sin has entered, it's defiled us. We are not as emotionally stable as when God first created us in Adam and Eve. We are not as spiritually connected to God as when God first created us. We are actually subhuman, or human beings. A shadow of our true humanity. John Stott says this, you are quote often. He says, sin is not only the attempt to be God, it is also the refusal to be human. Sin has mutilated your humanity. It has severed you from who you truly are. And I think we all sense this. Josh Woody Carla, I think I was sensing it. And the way we live, everything you're pursuing in your life actually is just one endless, never-ending quest to try to be us again. You are working desperate to get back in the garden, to be who you were when God created you, to be truly human again. It's quite amazing, isn't it? But we can't do it alone. We need God to, who created us, to recreate us. What we really need is a second genesis. We need God to breathe his life in our dead souls again. To recreate us in his own image. And the wonderful news of the gospel, the reason why there's nothing like the good news of Jesus. If you're going to get anything about the good news of Jesus, it's that it is God undertaking a second genesis. God has entered this dead world of subhumans. And he's seeking to recreate us in his image, in Jesus, to breathe life in us again. The whole good news of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the work of God seeking to restore us, to make us again, or even better than we were in Adam.
You see, Mark gives us this eyewitness account of God entering this world in Jesus and beginning to undertake this work of restoration. And we are, being, we are currently in Mark chapter 5, and uh, we've seen Jesus has come. God has come in Jesus. And in Mark chapter 5, we saw Jesus undertaking the work, as we've been seeing throughout Mark. He has been in the land of the Garrisons, that's verse 1 of chapter 5. And those who are with us last week in the morning, we saw Jesus, you know, we were introduced to this man, the demoniac legion. And Jesus has, has driven the demons out from this demoniac. We saw that Sunday evening. And we saw that the demons have left uh, this legion, this man who was possessed with legion, with legion being the demons, of course. The demons have left the man and they ventured into these pigs and they have brought the, kid, the pigs to destruction. They have plunged them right into the sea. So when we look at this story from verse 1 to verse 13, we learn two truths. In the morning, we learn that all human beings are enslaved by Satan. All human beings are enslaved by Satan. And the sermon on that is online if you want to hear it again. The, the second thing we learned in the, in the late afternoon at 5 p.m. on Sunday is that Jesus liberates us from Satan. And again, the sermon is also online. That was verse 6 to verse 13. So we said in the morning, we talked about the slavery of men. And in the, in the, in the evening, we looked at the liber- liberation of man. Well, this morning, we'll conclude this story, this amazing story, by looking at verse 14 to verse 20. We'll see how Jesus now restores, has restored this liberated man. So the sermon this morning really is the restoration of man. Uh, because we'll see here that Jesus has come to restore our true humanity, to make us again. Okay, that's the main truth we are learning. Jesus restores our true humanity. I just want to show you three words in this passage, how Jesus does that. It's in front of your outline. Uh, The first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus restores our humanity by restoring us to God, by restoring us to God. So, look, turn with me there at verse 14. We see that the demons just before that have entered these 2,000 pigs, and they have induced... A mass suicide. A collective suicide of pigs. Now imagine you're one of the pig owners, right? And you are there and you're seeing this strange thing as if it's from a Stephen King's movie or novel. Uh, you know, that M. Night Shyamalan type movies, right? And all these pigs together have consciousness and they just plunge themselves in this, uh, in this sea. What would you do if you're seeing this? I think, I mean, what would you do? I mean, I think I would leg it. <laughs> I think many of us would run for it, just like they do. It's the Bible is so authentic. What they do is what we, all of us do. Look at verse 14. It says, And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. They are going there telling everyone what's happened. And I think if it was today, this would be on social media, right? I will be everywhere on Twitter and Instagram and look what's happened. And in fact, if this was today, you know, you don't be calling up uh, Nick Ferrari or something on talk radio. You'll be talking about this. And it's happening there. They're all talking, not just in the city, perhaps Gadara um, or Gajesa, whichever city is closer to them. But they're also telling it in the entire country of the Decapolis. The rumor mill has done the job. And the whole town now has come to see these pigs, first of all, plunge there. And they've seen something else they don't expect. 
let's read on verse 14. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. And what do they see? They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there. Let's just pause there. They have come. The pigs have seen for themselves. But what they are not expecting is this man just sitting there. He should be in the tomb somewhere. Because they don't know where the demons have recently come from, which have driven this. They don't even know it's the demons, perhaps, uh, that have plunged the pigs. But what they are seeing now is this man who used to live in the tombs, who we met last week, sitting there with Jesus. Now, when you have the Bible, you know, you need to engage with it imaginatively, right? Just to try and picture some scenes. And I don't know how you picture this scene in your mind as a man is sitting there. How do you imagine him there? I have him, when I read this text first time, I have him sitting there with Jesus. He's sat there and he's smiling. <laughs> he's never been up here. And he, I don't think he's sitting far from Jesus. He's right next to Jesus. This is the man who has saved him from a terrible life. I think they are there looking at each other like childhood friends, I think. I would say this man is transfixed on every word Jesus is saying to him. This is his savior. He is in love now with Christ. And I have Jesus looking at this man there with eyes of love. This is the reason he came. This is the reason why he passed through that storm to get here. He came to liberate this Gentile, this pagan, this demonized man, this man who's living hell. And he has set him free from satanic power. It is mission accomplished. Jesus has sought him out to serve him. There's a lot of talk in our churches about accepting Jesus in my heart. You often speak to believers and say, how did you become to know Jesus? They say, well, I accepted Christ. I, I accepted Christ. I turned to him. I accepted him in my heart. But as I look at this passage, I don't know about you, but I see this event so wonderfully one-sided. It is all about Jesus. This man has not accepted Jesus, really. It is Jesus who first accepts him. It is Jesus who invades his life. It is Jesus who drives out the demons. It is Jesus who pushes the darkness away first. And then this man sits next to Jesus. This man didn't even want Jesus. He only bowed down because he was compelled by the glory of Christ. And this man's story, in some sense, is a story of every true follower of Jesus. Because in this situation, we see the, a picture of what it means, how we come as believers to trust in God. You love God because he first loved you. He looked at you there knee deep in sin and he, and he reached out to you. He came to your garrisons, so to speak. You were refusing. You had nothing to do with God. And I know some of you are in that situation right now. And I'm hopeful when I look at this passage that God will do the same thing for you that he's done for this man. Because you see the good news of Jesus, and as parents, be encouraged about your children. Because the good news of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit comes to people who reject him and he kicks down the dark doors of their hearts. And then he floods their hearts with the light of Jesus. And he enables them to truly trust him. This person should encourage you if you're praying for anyone because you know it is 
all the work of God. No one comes to God. God comes to them. And then he enables them to surrender truly to him. That is why, beloved, there is nothing like the good news of Jesus. Everything else uh, you're going to hear about, read about, and every isms that, are, that is out there is about man making his way to God. But in Jesus, God comes to us, opens our hearts, and he floods us with the light of Jesus, as he's doing here. And now we see this man. What a wonderful picture what it means to be a believer. He's sitting with God the Son. He has found meaning, fulfillment in life, in God. He's been restored to God because he sat next to God. He's truly human again. The life that had been severed in Genesis has been restored in him. And this is what Jesus is offering each one of us here this morning. I don't know where you are at in your walk in life. I don't know whether church is just a Sunday event where you come in and you hear a sermon. I don't know. I don't know if you once thought you trusted in Jesus and you, you've pushed away from that. But what I do know is this. What I know is that God is offering you this intimate and personal relationship with him. And he wants you sat right next to him. He wants you to be human again by plugging you to his very life. And the only way you can be truly human, you are in life now searching for your humanity at work, in friendship, in relationship, in sex, in other things. Well, the only way you can have it, you know, to be truly fulfilled in life is by you surrendering to Jesus now. Based on the death of Jesus for you on the cross. Accept you're a sinner and turn to him this morning. Do you know something of this reality? Can you truly say you are sitting at the feet of Jesus like this man? Have you truly surrendered to Jesus? Well, do that this morning if you haven't. And accept him and truly sit with him. There's an element of acceptance in the sense that God is the one opening up your heart. And he's there. He's offering you this relationship. And you must now respond in surrender. Because until you do that, you remain far from God. And listen to this, you remain subhuman. That's the first way we are restored. Where Jesus restores our true humanity. The first point is that he restores us by restoring us to God. The second thing we see here, that he restores our true humanity by restoring us to ourselves. Ourselves. Okay? Look at this. Let's carry on here. You might remember those of you who were here last week, that when the satanic forces enslaved this man, what, happened? what did we see? He was walking around in pain. He was walking around naked. Right? Uh, he hated his life. He wished he could end it all. Just remind you there in verse 5. Look at verse 5. We looked at this in verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He wanted to commit suicide. Self-harming. But now we see a reversal, don't we? Look at verse 15. This man is thinking now clearly and he's clothed. He's wearing clothes with dignity. I think Jesus has given him probably even his jacket. He's there dressed him up. Look at verse 15. 
And they, again, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, right, wearing something, in his and in his right mind. And they were afraid. More on that. The key point here is that Jesus, restoring him to God, has given this man a new heart, new senses, a new mind. But this is the point that I want you to notice here, and it's so cardinal. It's so important. You may, I think just reading it, you're gonna miss, you might have missed it. Notice what has happened here. There's a complete reversal of two groups. The man, naked, self-harming, properly dressed, restored. The people of the garrisons are now behaving like the demons behaved not too long. Did you notice that? Verse 16 to verse 17. He's sitting with Jesus, but how, how are they feeling? And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Verse 16, verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Who did we see last time begging Jesus to go away? Legion. These people have joined the demons now in opposing Jesus. They have seen, like Legion, know the power of Jesus. They've seen it. And they don't want Jesus around in their lives. We'll come to that point in a moment. I just want to make this point in passing. The people of the garrisons reminds us that when God reveals himself to people, most people ask him to leave. When God reveals himself to people, most people ask him to leave. In this morning, some of you are not trusting in Jesus. And you're not trusting in Jesus, not because you lack the evidence, not because you have not heard enough sermons, better sermons I'm sure you've heard, not because you, you have not seen, you can't look back to your life and say, look how the Lord helped me there. No. It is no lack of evidence. It's no lack of miracles. Sometimes in churches we're told we need more and more miracles. No, it's none of that. It's personal between you and God. I, I can't even help you. No one can. For some reason, you don't like God. You know he's there, but you just don't like him. You don't want to surrender to him because you don't want him to be in charge. It is personal between you and God. It is. And when I speak to people, I just tell them, look, Please, you know that it's God. You know him. You are based between you two of you. Go on to him. Go to him. Make peace with him. He's there. It's nothing to do with whether he's there or not. You know he's there. You don't want him for some reason. I don't know why. I think I do know theologically why. But you need to recognize that you don't want him for whatever reason. And you therefore need to go to him and sort it out. You are standing with the demons at the moment. So it's not lack of evidence. I think apologetics is useful. I think it is good to argue for the existence of God, blah, blah, blah. I think those things are good, right? In fact, it's not blah, blah, blah. It is good stuff, right? <laughs> right? I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Good stuff. RZIM, Ravi Zacharias, and all that good stuff. Listen to it. It's wonderful, right? But at the core of this, we see here, the issue is not apologetics. It's a human heart. You are in rebellion against God, and you know it. And you need to go to God and surrender to Him, period. 
And if you have a problem with God, take it up with him. This is what I said. I mean, that's my advice. And you know that as well. So, and as believers, we need to be aware of this, that people know already. So when we pray for non-believers in our, in, our, in our families and people we know, we need to pray that they would have the courage to be honest with God. Like the woman who look at this evening, they should tell him the whole truth. Why is it their problem with him? And God will flood them with his truth, and you remind them that he loves them. And if you read the Bible, of course, that's very important, because there you see uh, the character of God. The point I'm making here, which is the main point, is that the roles here have been reversed. That's the main point. That was the side point. I want you to see that the liberated man is now thinking clearly about life and God. Why the people of the garrisons are not? So what's happened here is that the liberated man is now truly human, okay? Because he has received a new heart. The garrisons are still subhumans. They are no better than demons. That's what Mark is telling us here. The right man, the clothing, they are saying, this is what a human being is like. like, is like. This is how the world is like. Demonized. Thinking like demons, right? They are subhuman. Why am I saying this? Because it is true even for us today. If you are trusting in Jesus, you have been made born again. God has given you a new life in Jesus with a mind that thinks clearly about life and is now being guided by God's word. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Peter says, we share in the divine nature. He says, the divine power of God is at work in us. This is us. Truly born again people, I might say, are the only true human beings on the planet. Biblically. Biblically. Everyone else is living a subhuman existence. Now, this does not mean if you are truly born again, you never have problems or you never suffer from mental defects or anything else like that. I'm not saying if you sit in the class, you're going to score a star because you're truly human. No. It does not mean actually even right that when you think about issues, you think about it accurately as you should. You don't, you're not right on every issue. You need the Word of God to help you think right about life. But what it means is that we are living in a world of two people. We have on the, on the right-hand side the children of God, the new human beings, the true humanity, right? They have a new life, and they are headed in a radically different direction. Where are they going? They are, going, they are headed to become more and more like Jesus. These are the descendants of the second Adam, we might say. Jesus has come, given them new life. He's the second Adam. He's given them a new nature. And every day is forever progress. Every day we're becoming more and more as God created us to be. We already have a new nature, but we are becoming outside who we already are inside. These are the true human beings, right? On the other side, we have the rest of the world. These are the descendants of the first Adam. Dead, lost in sin. And the Bible tells us their progress is downwards. They are becoming degenerate every day in their humanity. More and more sin. As Paul says in Romans, inventing sin continuously. More and more subhuman. So we are diverging, aren't we? You're, are you on the up trajectory or are you on the down? That's one of the application questions. In the families, we have two people. You know, perhaps the husband is saved, is up there, is, is going this way. The wife, degenerated. Why is that important? Because it changes how we relate to one another. How we relate to the world. 
We are, if we are in Christ, are the new liberated man. The new true humans living among the people of the garrisons. Which means your new nature in Jesus means that you will disagree with people who do not know Jesus. On most issues. Because their compass is wealth. It is subhuman. So can I ask you a question? Is it not then desire for all of us who claim to have been truly made in Jesus to want to think and live for the same thing the world does? Does it make sense for a person who is truly human to try and live a subhuman existence? Do we ever see in movies a person who has remained human join the zombies willingly? Like in the movie World War Z. No, of course not. You're doing everything you can. Even if we have a zombie apocalypse, God forbid, we would all want to remain human, won't we? Right? We would. Well, you are truly human in Christ. Why would you want to join a subhuman existence? It doesn't make sense. Shouldn't there be a difference between what you spend your money on and what the world does? When we examine the two bank accounts, just your priority of money spent, shouldn't that show some difference there? How you watch TV and how they do it, shouldn't there be some difference? Shouldn't there be a difference between how you prioritize your time if you're truly human and how the people of the garrisons around you prioritize their time? Shouldn't there be a difference between how you see your body? In Jesus, you're truly human. You're already beautiful regardless of your physical appearance. You are a work of art, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 verse 10. God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In fact, in Jesus, God has already not only just given you a new nature now, he's preparing a wonderful body ahead of you in the new heavens and the new earth. When you see Jesus, you shall look like him. One day you look more stunning than you're looking now. Doesn't this suggest that we don't need to post so many selfies on our Instagram feeds if we are in Jesus? We don't need... Does it make sense to you that we are looking to the world to admire us who are subhuman? Doesn't this remind you that we've got to be more patient and more loving to the people of the garrisons around us? I think it does. Because humanity is spiritually degenerate. I am not surprised we are in a mess as a country. Brexit and the whole impasse around it doesn't surprise me at all that politicians are at odds with against their people. I expect that for an existence that is subhuman, where God is not at the heart. It doesn't surprise me that our non-believing family members are disagree with us and may call us losers and may find our choices difficult to live with. But this tells me that our non-believing family members and friends need our love and they need our prayers. And we must pray by God's mercy that they are restored to a true humanity. For our benefit, for our peace. Moses, pray for the leaders for your peace. And I know why Paul is saying that, because we are like this. They are going, they are going down, we are going up. Right? And so we must pray in our families. Because, beloved, if you are truly trusting in Jesus, you have now been restored to God and restored to yourself. You are you again in Jesus.
God has restored your humanity. Here is the final way. So that's two ways. The first way is just restoring us. is restoring us to God. And the second way is he's restoring us to ourselves. And here is a quick final point I just want to make. Jesus is also restoring us to each other. Let's return here to the garrisons. Uh, the garrisons want Jesus to leave. Uh, Jesus has not come to beg for our devotion. So, you know, when you tell Jesus you don't want him in your life, Jesus just says, fine. He gives you up. And so here, he gets up, he's ready to go. Interesting enough, he hasn't completely given up on them. He'll come back to this area in chapter 7. That's an interesting thing. So he's persistent in that way, but there comes a point when Jesus says, I've said enough, okay, fine, you don't want me. I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm going to go. And actually here, he gets up and goes. But as he's going, notice someone else is following him. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat... The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. <laughs> I, I, we don't have time. As, as I think I was telling the ladies who came to the prayer meeting yesterday that when I look at these sermons, you could have four or five sermons and there's so much really here and we can spend time just on that verse a lot. But I just want to give you an, I just want to say something quickly before we come to the main point, just as a sub point here. What we're seeing here is a picture of what it means when a person is truly converted. When a person is truly converted, they want to follow Jesus. And guess what? They want to be with Jesus' community. They want to belong to that community. He doesn't want to be alone anymore. He knows he belongs to Jesus. And he wants to follow Jesus. And he wants to be with Jesus and his disciples. I just want to leave that point with some of you here. That you have to ask yourself... You have been converted, yes, but do you have evidence of conversion? And one of the evidence of conversion is that you want to belong to the community of God's people. You want to get in the boat to be with Jesus and his disciples. As I said, that's the whole sermon. Let's move on. He wants to do Jesus to, uh, he wants to go with Jesus. But to our surprise, Jesus turns down his request. Or to be more accurate, Jesus gives him a rather exciting new assignment. Look at verse 19. He's begging Jesus, verse 19 says, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I just want to point out that Jesus is doing this. This is the first apostle he's sending out in Mark. He hasn't even sent out his own apostles yet. Jesus is sending this man to fish for people. His friends. Why? So that the good news of Jesus can spread and pagans in this area can come to know Jesus. In fact, he's sending him like John the Baptist ahead of Jesus because Jesus is going to come to this area in Mark 7. So is this man is going ahead of him. And what is amazing is that this, that this message, uh, is, what is amazing is the message that this man is carrying. Tell them. What the Lord has done for you, the Lord being Jesus himself, Jesus is actually declaring his divinity here. Tell them what God has done for you. Who has, who has done for him this thing? Well, verse 21 tell us, Jesus had done this for him. Go and proclaim the good news of God that my mercy has come to these people. And you have to remember again that this man is being sent to people who have just rejected Jesus. But the heart of Jesus, friends, you have been rejecting Jesus all your life, some of you, friends. Born in a Christian family, so to speak. Mom and dad loves you, cares for you, or mom or whatever. And 
you know something of God. And you have been rejecting, 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 rejecting. And I don't know how long God is going to put up with you. But the point here is that his love still, his heart still beats love for you. Jesus is still sending his word to you. This morning, he sent it to you. Repent. Come back to me. And you must respond to that. We see that here, God is so full of mercy. Remember, this is a non-Jewish area. And Jesus is making the point here that I have not just come for the Jews, I have come for the Gentiles too. Jesus is saying, I'm restoring everyone to each other. The kingdom of God I'm creating, he's breaking down walls of separation. No Jews, no Gentiles, we are all now one in Christ. Regardless of race, regardless of background, this is what Jesus is inviting us to. This is what it means to be truly a human community in Christ. He wants them to be restored to God, restored to themselves, and restored to each other. To be truly human again. And who is he sending? A man who no long ago was a terror to the Decapolis. Right? He has now become Jesus' first missionary, as I've said, to the Gentiles. And will the man go? Will he go? Verse 20. Uh, Verse um, 20 tells us that, doesn't it? And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, preach in the Decapolis, how much Jesus, God, had done for him. And everyone marveled. The man obeys the command of Jesus to go. And if you are a true follower of Jesus this morning, you too, if you have been liberated, set free, made truly human again, Jesus is commanding you to go. He's saying, go to your Decapolis. What's your Decapolis? Well, he's sending you where you are, wherever God has placed you. Your circle of friends, your, your workplace, the school, that place you go to the gym to, the sports club you belong to, that is your Decapolis. He's saying, go to your Decapolis. Tell them how I've changed your life. And everybody will marvel if you do it, empowered by me. He says, live for Jesus. Now, I know the assignment feels tough, doesn't it? As you look at this, you, feel, you, you wish you lived in a better country than this man. Do you? Right? But you do. You wish you lived in a better country, right? You wish you had a great testimony to tell. You just stand up in the rugby club or wherever God has placed you. I say, I have a story. You want it to be exciting, don't you? You wish you also had Jesus telling you in person, go, I'm here, I'm God, go now. You, you, you feel that will make your life easier. But friends, that's not Jesus' plan for you. He wants you to live for him in your circumstances, as he has ordained, in your decapolis. And actually, I think Jesus has placed you in a great place. Because he's saying, go to your neighbors. Go to, your, to those friends of yours at the school gate. Go to your coffee place where you like taking coffee. Share something of me there. Tell them how I have restored you to be truly human. And you have a great story, actually, because you wish you had a better story, but you have a great story because every no-conversion story is the same. It's unique to you. No one is saved the same. How God works in your life is not going to be the same the way God has worked in my life. 
But you even have a better story. This man doesn't have the story of the gospel at this point. You have it. You have Jesus crucified for your sins. That is the only story you need. What good story do you need? Except the Son of God shed his blood for your sins. And you can tell the world about that. It is the only story you need. And yes, you wish Jesus told you in person, but guess what? He's telling you in his word. You have not just a few words of Jesus, you have 66 books. What more do you have? You wish you went in a group, do you? He's going along to people he had even tried perhaps to kill while he was demonized. This man may first jail, actually, if he was today, for some of the stuff he had done. Remember, they tried to cage him. He's like an incredible hope, that guy. And he's going there in boldness, and he's telling this, and God is preserving them. And he, God can do the same through you. You have, you are not alone. You have his spirit. You have his word. You have the church to support you. This man doesn't even have the church. He's going by himself. He only has the word of Jesus to guide him. So you are better equipped than this man. So the question as I come to an end this morning is simple. Will you obey to go? Will you become intentional about sharing Jesus? Will you ask him for opportunities to share him? It's that simple. Some of us think that evangelism is for pastors and people who are gifted and such. This, there's no mention of him being gifted as an evangelist. None of that. There's no mention of him having a good Becky Pippet video to help him either. The Spirit of God is with him. The Spirit of God, if you're truly converted, is with you. The question for you is simply this, are you genuinely converted? And if the answer is yes, will you obey the one who has set you free? Amen.